Here we go. Earning their stripes prepares you for the 2021 MLB draft. I'm Eli Sussman on the Fish Stripes podcast channel, where we cover the Miami Marlins every day in our own way. This pod is presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports. It's pretty self-explanatory. This is our Marlins draft preview. The franchise will select 21 players in the coming days, hopefully several of whom will make their way to Miami as impactful big leaguers later this decade. Don't rush them. Don't rush them. It's a process. Who are the top prospects in this year's draft class? Uh, what player characteristics do the Marlins care about more than other franchises? We'll go into that and a whole lot more. And we have to help me with this because I'm not all that locked into the amateur side as I wish I could be. We have Spencer Morris. We have Hector Rodriguez. Later on in the show, hopefully we'll have Ian Smith from Prospects Live and Prospects 365 as we're just days away from the start of this MLB draft. Thank you guys for hopping on. Happy to be here. Yep, happy to be here as well. We will, before we look forward to uh, these next few days, with this big draft coming up, we want to look back at the 2020 draft that happened last summer for the Marlins, one that was pretty widely praised. A lot of hype went into it. It was an all-pitching draft. They originally took six guys, Max Meyer, Dax Fulton, Kyle Nicholas, Zach McCambley, Jake Eater, and Kyle Hurt. And Hurt has since been traded to the Dodgers. He hasn't even appeared in affiliated ball since then. But those top five guys, they've all been healthy. They've all been starting this season. I'm going to go through their stats in a bit because it is bonkers how they're doing. But I'll start with Spencer on this because I remember that you were pretty high on Max Meyer entering the draft process and happy that Marlins got him with what was number three overall pick. Um, but not just him doing well, but a lot of these other guys. Uh, how has this class done compared to your expectations, understanding that you're probably pretty high on them in the first place? But as we get to the halfway point of the season, uh, what are your thoughts on how they have transitioned to the pros? Um, I mean, overall, I think the impressions have to be pretty highly positive. Uh, I was very high on Meyer. I think what we've seen out of him so far is more or less like in line with my expectations. There's still like some stuff that needs to be cleaned up there before he's ready to join the big club. Um, but on the whole, it's the same stuff we saw in 2020. You know, that 2020 sample was very small. And I think, you know, part of the reason that he wasn't always projected to be the top pitcher off the board last year. Um, a lot of times that was Asa Lacey. Um, was that, you know, the, there just wasn't as much to go on with him. The stuff kind of peaked a little later. We didn't see it for as long, but um, I mean, I think he sustained it. He looks great. Um, I still, you know, have him ranked right up there at the top of the system. And I think, you know, he's tracking towards being a frontline starter. But where the class has really exceeded expectations, I think, is with Ader and McCambly. Um, like, McCambly was a guy I liked a lot, too. Uh, pretty much anytime I see a 70 breaking ball in a scouting report, I'm going to like the guy. But um, and that part of his game, you know, has obviously been outstanding as expected. But with both of those guys, the control has improved in the pro game, like almost instantaneously, which is pretty rare. And that's a testament to, you know, the Marlins development staff. I think in particular with Ader, he was a guy that a lot of people and McCampley as well, they were both pretty commonly projected as relief pitchers. Um, Ader in particular, I mean, I think you look at, at the way his delivery looks now versus Vanderbilt, 
Um, I think it, it just looks a lot better. Um, it's, it's more linear. The arm action has less funk to it. And I mean, I think that when you're, when you're, when you watch him pitch now, he looks like a different pitcher. Here's the wind in the three, two, another strikeout swing and a miss. It looks like he's had two and a half years of experience in between his last year in Vanderbilt and right now. Um, he was, you know, like that pick was more or less like a gamble on the arm talent. And he has dominated an upper minors level, showing very solid uh, command without the stuff really backing off at all. Um, I think, you know, he's, I think he's, you know, uh, Baseball America added him to their top 100 or I, I think, is that right? I don't, um, not yet. I, not I was yet. petitioning for them yeah. to do it, but they that's what I'm remembering. Fight. I think um, yes. I, yes. I think he's a top 100 prospect as of right, right now. Um, like I think the, the improvements he's shown, it's not just in the results. Um, it shows up on the video too. And I, I'm really excited about what he's been doing. And then with Fulton, um, another guy I liked in the draft, um, the Marlins and I seem to have a pretty similar type when it comes to pitchers, but um I, I haven't really gotten to see him all that much because most of their games aren't televised, um, right. which I do rely on for a lot of these Marlins players because I don't live in Florida. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, just looking at the results, it seems like he's right on track. And I think that's another arm that definitely has starting pitcher potential. Um, I, I'm a big fan of his curveball. Uh, it seems like he's the the numbers at least have been improving as the season is, has gone on. So I think you know he's on track as well. Uh, I think you know that group has the potential to make a big impact on the major league pitching staff uh, a couple of years from now. Yeah, Hector, anything you want to add on uh, any of those guys? Yeah, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Zach McCambly just got called up from Class A Advance to double way so i mean yes that double we're, pitches. We're, we're recording this late wednesday afternoon just hours after mccambly got promoted yeah and um just to make sure everybody's on the same page both meyer and eater started this season at double a just a year removed from the draft which is highly unusual for both of those guys and now mccambly joins them yep yeah it's definitely unusual but you know we're you know we were living in unusual times but luckily things are getting better now. But yeah, I mean, you, I mean, that double team has an incredible pitching staff. You have three guys from the draft who have all produced at a high level this season. And then you have Edward Cabrera, who is another top pitching prospect, uh, another top 100 guy. I think either after the futures game, we'll get that top 100 prospect. I think somebody will give it to him because of number one, the season he's had. And also because, you know, He's going to put his name out there. You know, when you go to the Futures game, that's a big deal, especially for minor leaguers and for fans to see what could be the future of the major leagues. And, you know, even though Eater wasn't the wasn't didn't get invited, you know, in the initial um, time, it was still it's still a huge accomplishment for him, especially because it's tough for a fourth rounder to really start getting the attention. Usually you see a lot of these high end draft picks like first rounder, second rounder or international guys for a fourth rounder and and a draft that was only five rounds so i guess you can consider a late round draft pick last draft you know to be considered and to pitch in the futures game is a huge accomplishment for him um you know you still have kyle nicholas who 
has had a bit up and down, but you could see the potential there with him. And he's in Beloit, right? Yeah, still in Beloit. Yeah. Still in Beloit. You have Dax Fulton, who is a guy that just, you know, he he was uh, he was probably the number one left-handed high school pitcher in the country coming in the draft. And the only reason why the Marlins got, you know, were able to draft him with the with their second pick in the draft was because of Tommy John surgery. He, you know, he had the surgery. Now he's actually pitching. So I expect a few bumps on the road, but at the same time, you're seeing, you know, what the Marlins saw in him. I mean, he's like six, 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 seven, two hundred and thirty something pounds. And, you know, with that that much size, you can still add to the frame. So more velocity can come as it continues to physically mature. So there's a lot to like about there. And obviously, Max Myers, when the Martins drafted him third overall, that was a surprise to just about everyone except me. I mean, including me, my bad, because I didn't even write a draft profile for him last draft. You know, everyone was so, like, certain it's Asa Lacey, Asa Lacey, Asa Lacey that I really didn't, like, I know, like, Max was a top 10 player i knew he was probably gonna go somewhere in the top 10 but i thought it'd be like towards like the seven or eight range and then i think like an hour before the draft craig me starts tweeting hey you know keep an eye on this guy then i think they might be going with this minnesota pitcher max meyer and i thought it was just a smoke screen you know before the draft you know all those type of things happen and then they drafted him and i didn't know what to say because i didn't know enough about him so I listened to what the people that were covering the draft, I listened to what they said. And then I actually went to my, went to the laptop to, you know, do my own, you know, analysis. And the first thing that jumped up to me was two pitches graded a 70 above. I was like, okay, that is, that's, that's something you don't see every day. That is highly unusual, but in a good, in a very good way. So then when you watch him pitch, you realize like, like, okay, this guy's pretty damn good. Why why wasn't I hearing about this guy enough? You know, I mean, more than I was hearing about Asa Lacey. And I think it was I think a lot of it had to do with the reliever risk. And he was a smaller guy. Asa's about six five, while Max is six six one and he's kind of a skinny guy, but he's strong, but a smaller guy. Uh but I mean I think I think he's shown that he that he is deserving of that third overall pick. He's looked incredible this season i know the k per nine isn't as high as some people probably were hoping for maybe people were looking for like eaters k per nine to look like max meyer but either way max is doing his job he's an exceptional pitcher and i think the mart i think martin's fans are looking at that 2020 draft was like i know it was weird drafting only pitchers but damn like these guys look good these guys look like future big leaders at least for now yeah My- meyer is a uh- below average relative to the other draftees in terms of his strikeout rate. I combined all their stats together. This is like entering Wednesday night. Uh, those five guys, a 312 ERA, 304 strikeouts in 242 innings. Um, and I mean, Max Meyer is only striking out a batter per inning, whereas almost all those other guys are above that. And we, we don't want to put too much weight into minor league stats, but um, what these guys are all young for the levels that they're competing at, which is something worth noting. Um, especially in the case of like Dax where he's still a teenager and all the guys in double A for sure uh, going against some players that are in their mid twenties, some players that already have major league experience. It's uh it's been absolute best case scenario in terms of the performance and the fact that they've been healthy. That's probably the most important thing because that's the one thing you can't totally comprehend is uh, how healthy those pitchers are going to be. And it's coming off of the crazy year that we had in 2020 and so far so good. For, uh, for all of them. Moving to this draft coming up uh, so that people have their schedule straight. Day one is on Sunday, and then 
They'll do rounds two through 10 on day two and then rounds 11 through 20 on day three. I'm going to double check that. And we'll have that written out on the website. The Marlins pick for the first time in this draft at number 16 overall. Then they have their comp round pick at number 31, then 52, 88, 118, 149, et cetera. Every 30 picks from that point forward. And what I wanted to get into about the draft is that their bonus pool where uh, for each of these picks in the first 10 rounds, you get a slot value, um, a recommended value to pay these players as a signing bonus. And usually uh, in the vast majority of those cases, the bonus comes in relatively close to that number. Um, in some cases, you go under slot, in some cases, slightly over slot. And the Marlins as a whole, their bonus pool is a shade under $10 million this year. Just to put that into context, in 2019, it was like $13.5 million. Um, in 2020, it was close to 13 million. It was 12 and change. And uh, their, their top pick here, the number 16 overall pick, that's a $3.75 million slot value. Uh, most of the, the, the actual bonus pool is allocated towards those first two picks at number 16, number 31. But uh, that's just a long way uh, of saying, Spencer, that because this team was kind of decent in 2020 and they snuck into the playoffs and they fell all the way to the middle of this first round, um, that they have less resources to use on this draft. If you can only go like slightly over your bonus pool as a whole without sacrificing future draft picks. So that's not going to happen. Um, I think as people were so happy with what they did in the last draft, but no doubt this is going to be more challenging because they have less assets to use on the draft. I, I think that's fair, isn't it? I do think it's fair, but um, at the same time, I, I think they still have quite a bit to work with. Uh, that, that extra pick um, being so early really softens a lot of that blow just from not picking as high in each round. Um, I, do, I also think that this, this season, I, I have not as many guys stand out to me as like potential overslot guys this year as in um, some past years. So I'm not sure that it's, you know, the worst time to kind of be in this situation. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't think that the, the size of their bonus pool will really um, rule anybody out for them in the first round. I think more or less any player who could conceivably be available there, they should be able to cut a deal with without it hamstringing them for the rest of the draft. So, um you know, definitely you look back at like 2019, it's not, they don't have that much maneuverability for sure, but I think that um, they still have every opportunity to come away with a really strong class here. There, I guess there are, yeah, just a few cases of players that would be well over that slot value at number 16 overall. Uh, DJ Spillick, the Marlins director of amateur scouting, he had this media availability, I think it was last week, if I remember correctly, and he spoke pretty bluntly for about 30 minutes about some of the things that the Marlins are considering heading into this draft, and the one one of the several hints that he dropped, um, he estimated about six or seven players in this class are definitely going to be off the board by the time that the Marlins pick. So to your point, are we any closer yeah, I think we're closer. I think we got a nice group of players to pick from. Uh, I think we know the six, seven players that won't be part of our draft this year. They're just too good. I think we're, we've are we come to a consensus on that, Where we, what we feel. Whereas last year, I mean, things were almost wide open for them. 
I mean, as it turned out, both Lacey and Austin Martin fell uh, to them at number three if they wanted to. Uh, so, so last year, it's quite a contrast this time where he's able to already rule out like a handful of guys, not even worth doing much work on them because they're going to be picked in that first half of the first rounds. With Hector, uh, you've been doing this amazing job on these draft profiles on Fist Tribes. I think we're up to about 15 individual players that you laid out. Uh, we'll get to those very shortly. Some of the players that you didn't do, obviously, were ones that you just feel didn't have any realistic chance of falling to the Marlins at number 16. So just going back to what DJ said about six or seven players, can you just briefly mention who you think those players are at the top of, uh, of these mock drafts, the ones that even inside the front inside the front office, they seem to believe that they don't have any chance at who are those players that we'll hear about that we just know won't fall to the Marlins uh, under any circumstances. I'm going to go with the biggest position of need catcher. Uh, the number one catcher in the draft is Henry Davis catcher out of Louisville. Um, he's not, he might even be the number one overall pick. I don't think he will. I think he'll end up being um, Marcelo Mayer, the high school shortstop out of California. But I, and that's another guy who, I didn't even waste my time writing a draft profile on him. Early on in the draft, I probably would have done something for Henry Davis because he was in that 15 to 16, you know, that teen range. So I if he was in that range, you know, later on in the draft, I would have done a draft profile, or draft profile for him. But then he quickly, like, grows. He had an incredible junior season, and it, it was pretty obvious that the Marlins were not going to have any chance at drafting Henry Davis. You know, Jack, I didn't waste my time with the two Vandy arms, Kumar and Jack. If, even though Kumar's falling, he's not going to fall all the way to 16. Some team is going to realize, like, what? why is this guy falling? I mean, let me just go take him, and then we'll deal with how much signing what the signing bonus money is. Um, the other two high school shortstops that I didn't bother with is Jordan Law or Khalil Watson and Brady House. Those guys are – I think all five of those guys are going to be top seven picks, maybe even top five, depending on – what teams want to do. Jackson Job's the number one high school right-handed pitcher in the country. Um, he's a guy that I've seen go as high as number three. He didn't come into Miami. Ty Madden, um, the college pitcher from the University of Texas, big season. And I think he had too big of a season for the Marlins to even come close to. I think he actually goes 10th overall to the Mets. And Sal Frelick, the outfielder out of Boston College, 5'9", 175, but the kid is very good. Great hit tool, elite speed, um, decent enough power. But to me, he, to be honest with you, he, at least to me, he's the number one high, um, number one high, not high school, the number one outfielder in this draft class. So I didn't, I thought he would go somewhere in the top ten, maybe even like sneak into the 11, 12, 13 range. After that, yeah, I think everyone's available for the Marlins. Even Colton Cowser, who is an outfielder out of Sam Houston State, I don't think it happens, but there is a possibility that that could happen. Matt McLean, who is my number one option. Um, I think he's more of a pipe dream now, but at one point in the draft, he was a, he was like legit. Like, Hey, this guy can go, can follow the Marlins. I think he goes 12th overall to the Seattle Mariners. It seems like that's who they want. And then afterwards you got Benny Montgomery, Harry Ford, Sam Bachman, who I'm extremely high on Jordan Wicks, um, Andrew Painter, Will Taylor, Joe Mack, and yeah. I could just well, name a bunch Let's of other pause names. it right there, Hector. We'll get into most of those guys. But the first one you did mention was uh, Matt McClain. Uh, and I think you did, we're going to put up your big board on Fish Stripes the same day this pod comes out, where I think he's, he's that number one dream scenario you want. So, Spencer, on Matt McClain, uh, is, what are your quick thoughts on him uh, as a player and the 
potential for him to actually be available when the Marlins pick? Um, I, I agree. He's probably not going to be on the board. Uh, I'm not the best guy to ask about like who's looking at who um, I'm more player focused, but I would think that a guy with a floor that high in this class, a position player with a floor that high in this class, it's going to be hard for him to fall very much because there's just not a lot of that on the board. Um, I like McLean. I, I don't think that I would pick him if I, you know, had the final say at 16, even if he was there, he's just not really my kind of player. Um, there's a lot to like about him. Uh, he had, he's going to offer whatever you want to do with him on defense. He'll be able to handle it. He has all the tools to play anywhere up the middle. I think he can play shortstop. I definitely think he would be an outstanding second baseman. I think he could play center field. Um, the speed plays in, in, on both sides of the ball. Uh, he's fast, but on top of that, he's very instinctive, both in the field and on the base pads. And it's one of the best hit tools in the draft too. So, I mean, like, obviously he checks a lot of boxes, but I just don't, I don't see him hitting for power. I think it's mostly gap to gap kind of look. Um, and there's value in that. Certainly, I don't want to, you know, just dump on the guy. But if I'm talking about the 16th overall pick, I want some pop. I want more pop than he offers. Um, and I've seen, you know, some people see it differently. I've seen some people say that they, he reminds them of Alex Bregman. That's not what I see personally, uh, but definitely a really strong prospect. Um, another thing I would add is that I think that Madden will probably be on the board. And I think that there's a chance that Frelick will, could be um, Madden. I think greater than 50% will be on the board. I just think he's been passed up by some other college arms um, to the point where he's closer, closer to the end of the first round than the top at this point. I think he goes probably in the late teens or twenties um, and Frelick, I think, you know, uh, could be a top 10 pick, but I could also see him potentially slipping if his tar if his potential landing spots up at the top end up going a different direction. Um, yeah. So one other like important comment that DJ Spillick kind of snuck into his media availability. Uh, actually, I should say this is come from reporting from the Miami Herald that they're pretty convinced at the Herald that the, at both number 16 and 31 that the Marlins are going to focus on position players. They didn't actually go out on the limb and like guarantee that's going to happen. And right. uh, no specific names have been floated about that. We'll go to Hector on this first because he's been pretty consistent with this. He kind of adds a note at almost all the, the bottom of all these draft profiles about how, you know, the Marlins went really heavy on pitching last year and their offense at the higher levels of the farm system and in the majors kind of stinks. So they should prioritize bats. Uh, can you just expand on that Hector about uh, why you think um I guess you'd kind of agree with this sentiment that the Marlins are focused on bats with those two highest picks. Why do you think it's so important that they focus on position instead of like best talent available? Well, to me, it depends on what type of pitcher is available. Like if a guy like Sam Bachman falls, I think that I had him at number two. Bach, if Bachman falls, that's a guy that when I was reading his draft profile, I read and I was like, man, am I reading about Max Meyer or is this Sam Bachman? So Backman's my number two because I just I love what I see from him. Again, two elite pitches and a guy that throws you know it doesn't throw with a lot of effort. It's kind of effortless. He can get up to 101 um, as a starter. Now, now as a closer, he can get up to 101 as a starter. 
Um, but plain and simple, the Marlins, you look at a lot of these hitting prospects and some of these guys have, you know, have great tools, but their hitting tool is the one that's lacking a little bit. So that's why if I were the Marlins, and I, I don't think their player development has done a great job of developing that hit tool consistently because we have seen, I mean, Victor, Victor Mesa was supposed to be, you know, a guy that just gets a lot oh, of these hits. No, and he, I, been, and people, I warn people not to look at his 2021 stats. Uh, they yeah, are hideous, man. Yeah, they're bad. Um, Monte was, was is always going to you know, have a high strike already, but he hasn't, you know, he struggles putting the ball in play. Lewis Brinson has had that issue. Isan looked incredible in triple A. You know, everyone was hoping that he could be like the next best um, thing for the Marlins, and he hasn't. The only hitting prospect that I've really seen like absolutely like tear it up and have like success in the big leagues from this from this group and now the previous one is jazz obviously you see some good nice things with hazer sanchez i mean that last game he hit two really hard he made hard contact twice and then his last ab just went the other way no recognizing hey they're pulling they're playing me pull side i'm just gonna flick it the other way if he gives me the opportunity so you know you have some hope with hazers that he can continue to develop his hit tool. But that's why, like, I prioritize guys that can, you know, produce, that can get on base, and that can make solid contact. That's why, you know, Matt was my number one guy because I don't think there's a college bat, maybe Henry Davis, that has a better hit tool than Matt McLean. And that's why I value him so – that's why I value him as so highly. Henry Ford is another guy. Um, he has a pretty good hit tool, for especially for a catcher. Um, I know there's a lot of question marks with catchers and the hit tool, but I mean, he's a guy that he's so athletic that if he doesn't play the catch position, that's okay. He can go to second, third, you can put him in the outfield if necessary. But the biggest thing with him is I just need, he needs to produce at the plate. That's why I also went with um, Colton Calger as a draft profile, because that's a guy that hits high for average. Granted the competition he played at same Houston state wasn't the best, but even when he did play against competition that was more that was closer to what he what his capabilities are he didn't like he didn't struggle he was able to compete and actually sometimes excel that's why even though he is at a very small college MLB pipeline has him as the number 10 prospect in the entire draft so that's that's why I'm looking at hit tool reminding you that we are proudly partnered with symbol the stock market for sports Symbol allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. A huge week for Symbol, introducing college football team stocks to go along with what they already offer for MLB, NFL, NBA teams. The selection keeps growing, and it's just an awesome platform, a fun platform, and one that they like you to use responsibly by providing analysis about exactly where all these trends are heading so that you can make a profit from sharing with other users. Now, closing in on 3,000 early adopters who have already started to invest. Symbol.app is the website, www.simbull.app. You go there to create your free account, make your first deposit using promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, for a $10 bonus. The current Sim Marlins share price is exactly $28.52. Visit symbol.app. Promo code FISTRIPES when you make your first deposit to get a $10 bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. 
I think a, a catcher's got to go one of the first two picks, one of the first three picks at least. And there are some options. Maybe it's Harry Ford with the first pick, very likely. But the guy that I think could be an absolute stud for the Marlins is Matthew Nelson out of FSU. I think Nelson is a very solid defensive guy, but is also a guy that tore it up this season. Hit, I think he hit like about 333. But the big thing that surprised me was his power numbers. He hit about 23 bombs. If I'm not mistaken, he was tied for first in all of college baseball with home runs. You also have Adrian Del Castillo, a guy with a great head tool, but his power numbers were down out of the University of Miami. Um, Luca Tress was a guy that I was looking up earlier in the year, but his offense, you know, struggled. You know, he really struggled offensively this season for NC State. So he's fallen on some draft boards. But yeah, I mean, the Mars just need to get guys that can put the ball in play and make things happen. And I feel like those three catchers are probably your best bets if you are going to draft a catcher within the first like three picks of your of this draft. Well, well, Spencer, you knew it was coming, but I want to get into Harry Ford a little bit more in particular here because he has been mocked to the Marlins at least once by Pipeline, and I think maybe once by Baseball America. Uh, I don't think anybody. Life. Prospect Live has him. Prospects Live, yeah. And uh, our, our pal Ian, Ian Smith, who I don't think is going to be able to join us, but he was the one that they did you know, a full mock with one person actually representing each team. And he was the one that really likes Harry Ford at that spot. And uh, I'll shout out Alex Carver of Fish on the Farm. He wanted us to talk about this a little more, about just the entire mindset of drafting prep catchers and using one of your top picks on them. Uh, the Marlins a, a few years ago in 2018, they took Will Banfield, not in the first round, but they almost paid him like first round money uh, to get him out of his Vanderbilt commit. And so far in the pros, he's amazing defensively, but hasn't progressed offensively. And it's looking like that might not have been the best use of that pick, but still kind of early with him. Um, this is, this seems to come up a lot in terms when talking about the draft and that, that subgroup in particular of prep catchers, where uh, in this case, it seems that Harry Ford is definitely the top guy in that group, although there are some o- some others near him that could be targets either with 16 or more likely with number 31. We- we've seen Ford, you know, mock to the Varlins. Uh, so what is, do you think that would be worth it if he is available to them? What are the pros and the cons of going after him? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I-, I have Harry Ford as roughly like a top eight player in the class overall. Um, I'm a little surprised that um, he's not being projected really much at all for some of those higher picks um, because I, I mean, I think he's well worth it. Like I've, I've talked a little bit about this before. Um, like the, the prospect graveyard is just full of once promising prep catchers who looked like world beaters when they were in high school and the total package, all this, like I could go, I could talk at length about all the prep catchers that I've fallen in love with in the last 10 years, only to have my dreams completely crushed in sometimes very quickly, sometimes slowly and painfully. But Ford is just, he's just a different animal. And like, I think, you know, if he's on the board at 16, he's the pure best player available unless something truly weird has happened um, for me. Uh, like when I first took a look at him, you see the body and you're like, all right, that's a good like catcher's body. Like it's a guy you can see sticking behind the plate, but the, the way he moves and swings the bat at that size is truly rare. Like you just, you don't, 
see guys who can move like that with that kind of build almost ever. Um, it's a very powerful build. He, he utilizes that power pretty well um, already as at the plate. And I think that, you know, the hit tool has a lot of potential too. I, I'm, I like his swing quite a bit. Uh, I don't think there's like any, any red flags there. Um, it, there is like, it is a little bit unorthodox in some ways, but he looks really comfortable doing it. And I think, you know, that's what's most important. Um, I wouldn't be looking at him it, through the lens of like, man, the Marlins really need a catcher. We need like, we need to look catcher here. It's just like, it's more, this guy is a really rare talent. He's like a borderline, he's a borderline like five tool talent. I mean, he's not like a plus runner, but for a guy who's 200 pounds, he's, you know, he's pretty far up there. Um, I think that he's a guy who can hit for average in power. Um, he's not the most polished catcher in the class defensively, but I mean, he, he has all the tools to do that as well. And he, he's certainly not, it's the defense isn't lagging uh, by any means. So if we're talking about a dream scenario at 16, I would say he's probably the dream scenario. Um, he's, you know, he's, I just think if he's available there, I think he's, he's just the biggest talent on the board. So I'm all about going after Harry Ford at 16. Um, I would be absolutely thrilled to come away with him with my first round pick. Um, the other catchers in the class, you know, there are more prep catchers that I like. I mean, I do like Joe Mack quite a bit, but I'm not sure that I would take him at 32. And I think if the Marlins want him, that's probably where they would have to do it. So, um, you know, failing getting Harry Ford, I do like some of the college catchers. Um, I think that Nelson is probably the best option. I would agree there. Um, I was pretty high on, on Tresh at one point, but um, I thought that it, like Hector alluded to, his performance down the stretch wasn't especially good. Um, I don't think he's going to end up hitting for too, a, a heck of a lot of contact. And I also think he's probably like a bit below average on defense. So I'm not really too interested there anymore. Um, I, I continue to be intrigued by Hunter Goodman. He reminds me a lot of Hunter Renfro when he was in college, um, who did used to catch a little bit, believe it or not. Um, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know, he's another guy with swing and miss issues, pretty severe ones at that, but he can hit the snot out of the ball and he has a really big arm. So maybe you can call him like the dollar store, Henry Davis, if you wanted to. That's obviously quite a stretch because there's a lot that Davis is much better at. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, I have a lot of reservations about prep catchers, but uh, Harry Ford's a unicorn. So you can sign me up for him. Here on the Marlins draft preview pod, Spencer Morris with Hector Rodriguez and I'm Eli Sussman pivoting away, just assuming that they don't chase that unicorn or that unicorn is a, uh, caught before they have the opportunity to get there uh we got this question from the mlb draft appreciator on twitter uh, at leftward underscore karst um who wanted to know just generally about prep bats in general at number 16 hector i'll, I'll go to you on this uh, assuming ford is off the board um some of these other prep players at different positions who, who do you like among those guys? I guess prioritizing the guys that we know we feel confident about the hit tool, but who are those other prep bets, maybe at other positions that you think makes sense at number 16? So Ford is gone. Maybe a prep bet that you reach out to is 
Will Taylor, the outfield, the outfield prospect out of Dutch Fork High School in South Carolina. Um, elite speed. Kid has a 70-grade speed. The biggest problem with him is this, he is a dual commitment um, to Clemson. He is also signed to play college football Clemson, and he's probably going to be one of the most difficult guys to sign away from the draft because of, you know, he has the opportunity to play for one of the best college football teams in the country. So that is that's a big question, especially with the Marlins not having a big budget, a big as big of a budget as they have in the past. Right. I'll, Maybe, I'll jump in just for a second to mention that two years ago, another Clemson commit that the Marlins drafted and signed was Nassim Nunez. But it's it's kind of yeah. you couldn't get too you couldn't get any further different in terms of like body types, and uh, I don't think Nassim was going to play any football at Clemson. No, <laughs> that's an important. He, he might be a punt returner because he can he can move. He can yeah. move. Yeah, yeah keep going. As a punt returner. But to me, like a guy that if the Marlins, since, you know, the Marlins might be a little bit more financially, you know, tighter than in previous drafts, then maybe go under slot here. And a guy that I, even though he's limited defensively, a guy with a high hit tool, a really nice swing, especially left-handed hitting swing. And he's got some room to fill in is Peyton Stovall. And that's probably my fifth, that's probably the fifth prospect on my board. And the reason why I'm, I'm going with Stovall here is because I just like what I see from him. A lot of scouts have compared him to Todd Walker. That seems to be the popular pick when comparing Stovall to. This is a guy with that just hit makes con- hard contact to all fields. He doesn't, you know, every now and then he'll try to do too much, you know, especially in high school in Louisiana. The competition there is pretty solid, but I'm pretty sure he knows how much better he is than everybody else. So if he gets something good, he'll try to, you know, do something, you know, do a little bit more with it. But you know, the big question mark with him is what position he's going to play. He doesn't have great speed and probably actually below average speed. But to me, the Martins need bats. And the Martins need a guy that can just hit the ball. And this kid's actually got some pretty good power. He's, he's got a 50-grade power. I think that's about an average or above average grade. He's a guy that even as he continues to, you know, bulk up and fine-tune his mechanics, maybe he's a guy that can hit – you know, about 15 to 20 bombs a season. You know, that's very good, especially for a guy that I think will hit pretty high for average. I know high batting averages aren't like a big thing nowadays. More people are looking towards weighted runs created, OPS and OPS plus. But, you know, there's still some value to being a guy that can just get on, that can make that can make a lot of hard contact and get base hits. Um, and I think Stovall would be a great option for the Marlins. I feel like he is one of the most underrated high school kids in this draft. And the reason why is, he wasn't a perfect game All-American. He was a late bloomer in this draft class, a guy that on perfect game, I don't even think is ranked inside the top 100. So there's a lot to like out here. And if the Marlins were to – if they were strictly looking at a high school bat and Harry Ford wasn't available, my attention would immediately turn towards Peyton Stovall and then try to get a catcher within the 31st or the 52nd pick. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention about Stovall, Spencer, that wasn't already covered? Um, I love him. I think he's probably one of the, I think he's probably one of the 20 best players in the class. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with, with everything that Hector said about him. His hit tool is, is one of the best in the class, pro or college. I think it's a, a really impressive swing um, and just a really impressive hitter in general. And I do think that the power plays, it's not like big raw. It's like, raw raw power is in in like average territory probably a hair under but it's utilized really fully and i mean i would advise you not to put weight into uh prep stats but if you go look at peyton stovall's stats from this year you're going to throw up 
Like they're, they're just absolutely disgusting. Um, I, I think that, you know, he's a very legitimate option at 16, especially, you know, if you could get a little bit of savings there to give yourself some, some room to work with in the bonus pool. Um, and then the only other thing I wanted to add, um, just on, in terms of prep bats at 16, the one other guy who, you know, if we're, if we're assuming that Benny Montgomery is also gone, I think, you know, he's another guy who could fit at 16, but just assuming he's also off the board, the uh, other prep player named Montgomery is another guy that I'm really high on, Colson Montgomery, um, who is a, a two-sport guy out of Indiana. He, um, he kind of got bumped down a little bit early in the process because he didn't, like, test super well athletically. Um, his run times are, are a little slow. Um, and also, you know, with the multi-sport background, there's a little bit less, a little bit less experience than some of the other guys. Um, he was one of the best basketball players in the history of his school, set a bunch of scoring records, um, plays shortstop as well. And I think he's a guy who has potential for above average hit and above average power. Um, and I think he could stick at shortstop. Like I said, he's not like super fast in a straight line, but like you would assume from like a shooting guard, his feet are good and he moves well in a short area. So I don't think the range is really too bad. Um, and if it's not shortstop, it'll, it would be third base. So I think the bat plays there too. Um, I would want to get a little bit of a, of a discount on the slot value if I were to take him at 16, but I think he's in the mix there. Yeah. Just a reminder to people that slot value at 16, 3,745,500. So that's about, yeah, about 38% of the Marlins entire draft pool. The other section crop of players to touch on you like can i can i ask cast um spencer a question real quick <laughs> yeah of course spence i just found this guy's freaking stats i didn't even know about this kid's stats do you mind if i just share them with the By all means no i would because i'm pretty it. sure they would be interested so this is just this season this is not career numbers but this past high school season and i'm getting off max prep so i think it's pretty accurate um, he played 35 games. Batting average was 489. Um, he had 44 hits in 90 at bats, drove in 39 runs, seven doubles, one triple, 12 home runs, walked 38 times, and only struck out seven. So that a strikeout rate is definitely low. And his on base percentage was a 649. Slugging was almost at a thousand in 988, but the OPS being a 1638 while also stealing. 11 bags, but I don't think he'll be that great of a base dealer at the next level simply because the talent at the catcher level will be much better and the pitchers will do a better time of holding runners. Amazing. Yeah. I always love looking at that. Who was who the one that it's actually, yeah, there's like a whole, you go down a fun rabbit hole of not just baseball players, but other athletes and look at their high school stats and how they, destroyed things i mean the i, I think henry. the most famous yeah exactly we're, we're thinking the same thing derrick henry is the most famous example of that oh man josh hamilton i think hit like 560 his senior year of high school if i remember yeah. right that, that sounds possible yeah um it, it's incredible no and also the what's this kid's name uh, frank mozzicato the left-handed pitcher out of connecticut threw four consecutive no hitters like that is ridiculous and Hagen Smith, I think, threw, um, I want to say, like three out of four no-hitters earlier in the year, too. So there was a lot of crazy stuff going on at the amateur yeah. level this year. 
Yeah. Those kids just stand out. They're just much better than their counterparts. For sure. And I I think that does bring me back to DJ Spillick. Again, this is the director of amateur scouting. This is the guy that really has kind of the final call on a lot of the the picks that the Marlins make. He did sneak in like something during his media availability about how the team just feels more comfortable evaluating prep players this year as compared to college players, because college players, if you're eligible this year, um, then you missed your sophomore year uh, in 2020. You barely played at all. Whereas uh, for a variety of reasons that we probably won't get into uh, at the prep level, uh, those guys just had opportunities to play more games either within their schools or just in terms of the summer showcases and all sorts of wood bat showcases that they did that um, the actual reps that the players were able to get at the high school level were a lot more, a lot more reps than they were able to get for college players just due to all the complicated factors in terms of how they felt about dealing with COVID over the past year, which is why a lot of people suspect that at least that number 16 pick and maybe even number 31, both of them, they would lean towards prep players because even as Spillick admits himself that they feel they have a better gauge on exactly who those players are right now. But the one other subset of players I wanted to get into on this pod was college hitters that fall a little bit later uh, because again, this is straight from DJ's mouth saying that he brought up that from rounds two to four, that just outside those top couple picks the Marlins make that college hitters in that range between like number 51 overall, number 52 overall, and number 118, that those are guys that Marlins feel there's a lot of depth in this class. So there's a lot of options in that range of comparable players, ones that they feel are good value. Um, For whatever variety of reasons, he kind of went out of his way to bring up that particular subset of players that wouldn't be considered with those first couple picks the Marlins make, but right below that, other guys that, uh, again, just to put slot values next to them, guys that would sign for between like 500 grand and 1.5 million, somewhere in that range, uh, who are a top 100 overall talents in this class. Uh, so to Spencer on that, is there anybody that comes to mind for you that, again, would fall probably outside the top 50 picks that they make, but would be shortly behind that and guys that you feel are really, I guess, if you want to focus, especially on the offensive side, guys that you feel more confident in their hit, in their power tool, just knowing like how much the Marlins really need those skills in their system right now. Um, well, I'm kind of pushing it on the top 50 thing a little bit here, but I would mention Christian Franklin um, as one of the college hitters who has stood out to me the most this year. There, uh, Obviously, it's been discussed quite a bit um, that it was kind of a down year for at least like the players who are seen as being the top of the college back class coming into the season. Um, I think that, you know, with Franklin, he's probably going somewhere in that 30 to 50 range, but um, in the hit tool, I, I would project as, as below average, like in the 40 to 45 range, but I'm pretty confident in that projection that it's, it's a 40 and not a 30. And I think you look at that, couple it with the fact that he has plus power he has a very patient plate approach. I think that that kind of hit tool is going to play for him. Um, I think offensively, you're somewhere in the neighborhood of, of Chris Davis with a K. Um, and he's a very impressive defensive outfielder as well. So while he's not a big hit tool guy, and I know we've kind of discussed like the Marlins hitting development, it's been uh, pretty shaky lately. So, you know, perhaps that could steer you in the direction of some hit tool guys. 
Um, but that's a guy who I would still have to consider pretty strongly um, if there's a shot at him after 16. But then in terms of guys that do have the hit tool, there's a few guys in this college class who I think have stood out the most in that regard. Um, Trey Sweeney from Eastern Illinois. I think he's probably gone before the Marlins make their second pick. I think he probably ends up being a first round pick, but let's imagine he doesn't. Um, he's one of my favorite college hitters in the class. Um, I think that the hit tool is going to be uh, 55 or better um, for me. And I think that while it's more of a hit over power uh, plate approach, I do think that he's got some juice there. Like he does drive the ball, even if it's not a ton of over the fence power right now. And he's also a really big guy. So potentially, you know, you get in the lab with him a little bit, you might be able to, to squeeze out a bit more power than we've even seen thus far. And he fits somewhere on the infield. So it's a pretty complete package. Um, a little bit further down the board, not too much further. These are more guys that you're talking about with picks two and three. Um, Tyler Black uh, from Wright State had a, an amazing year, um, had a big performance in, uh, in the regionals as well. That was a nice cherry on top for, for his draft stock. Another guy who just, he has just an awesome swing. Um, I think, you know, one of the better swings in the class period, again, not, not a ton of over the fence power. And I worry about that with him a little bit more because he makes more of the, of that fly ball contact than Sweeney, who's a little more line drive. Um, and the other thing with black is that defense is more of a question mark. He's played second base historically. Um, I think he could work there, but I think that it would be below average defense which with his bat, you can live with, but it's, you know, it's something that's, that you're thinking about when you're talking about making that pick. Um, Connor Norby hit, uh, hit 400 for Eastern Carolina. Um, he's a pretty small guy. I'm not sure how much power there's going to be there, but, um, you know, if you're, if you like somebody who's kind of, um, that sort of potential top of the order guy, who's, going to consistently make clean contact with the ball and isn't going to, you know, give away pitches. He definitely, you know, accomplishes that. And then one more college bat. Um, I'm not really getting too far down the board here. So I'm not sure if this is exactly what we were looking for, but uh, I continue to be a pretty big fan of Alex Benellis at Louisville. It wasn't a good year for him, particularly, uh, well, most of the year wasn't very good for him, but he did kind of turn on the Jets there at the end of the season, which I think, um, you know, he probably saved himself quite a bit of money by doing that. Uh, the swing mechanics got out of whack with, with frequency um, this season. You know, there's no sugarcoating that, but when he is right, he's got a nice, tight, compact swing that can still produce a ton of power. Um, I do think there is potential for him to hit for a solid average, even with like what we saw out of him this past season and the power is above average as well. Another guy who the defense is not anything to write home about, but I do really like that bat and he could potentially be had, you know, second round kind of a little, a little later on than those other guys that I brought up. Yeah. And I mean, joining us in spirit on this episode, we have Ian Smith from Prospects Live. And I just, he gave me his own top 101 at the moment. I think it's, this is his final version. So just to put into context, some of the names that you brought up and what Ian has with them. With Christian Franklin, he has him number 44 on Ian's board. Uh, Tyler Black at number 50. Um, Alex Benellis at number 69, just to put that into, nice. just to like give you an idea of 
his perspective on that. And I think you brought up Connor Norby as well. Ian is pretty high on Connor Norby and has him at 38 with yeah. that. I remember he, he picked him in that prospects live mock too. Yeah. Um, which kind of raised my eyebrow a little bit, but you know, I trust, I trust his eyes and you know, Norby is like a truly great hit. Like there's, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. One other name in that category that you didn't bring up um, that I think Hector would have some thoughts on would be Adrian Del Castillo who fits into that category of someone that was considered a surefire first rounder entering the year, um, potentially a very high first rounder, and then just didn't produce like as he was expected to do at all for yeah. Miami this year. And the fact that he is uh, at, at the University of Miami, I mean, people are naturally going to lean towards him. If you guys can't see this, I'm wearing my my Canes hat. I am a hurricane myself, so I wouldn't I wouldn't mind that that pick. Uh, but Hector, how far do you think he could fall? Would he be a guy that actually? Balls potentially like outside the top 50. So that the Marlinski had him in the second round. Um, and I mean, would you want him at the second round? Like how, how much concern do you put into the kind of year that he had? Well, the biggest concern with him this year was just the fact that he really didn't hit for power. I think he only had like three or four homers, but he's a guy that does put the ball in play. He makes a lot of hard contact. It's just more line drive. It didn't really look like he was trying to hit the ball over the fence that much this season but I think if I'm not mistaken he's still bad around 280 300 it just wasn't what everyone was expecting the other th- issue with him is question marks if he can stay behind the plate now he has improved every year since he since he first enrolled at Miami but there are still t- some people and I have my own questions about if Adrian can stick behind the plate and so I do think that there is a possibility like let's say the Marlins go you know position players um, 16 and 31, but they didn't drop the catcher at 52. If Adrian's there, I'm almost certain that they will take him because it is a hometown kid. It's probably an easy sign. He's been, he's actually from Florida. He went to Gulliver prep. He is a Marlin fan. So I don't think it would be a very difficult sign for the Marlins because he's right there. You know, he doesn't, ha- it's not a, a tough, it's not like a big move for him and, or his family. You know, he, he's probably right. He probably lives right by the stadium. If, for all I know, but there is one other college guy that I'm pretty high on that I, if, you know, depending on the situation, if they were to take him would be Auburn shortstop, even though I think he will move to second Ryan bliss. Um, this is a guy that had a huge season for the Auburn Tigers. Auburn, not a great baseball program, but he was absolutely one of their best players. He was absolutely their best player. One of the best players in the SEC, small guy, five, nine, one very skinny, but he produced with some power granted, you know, you're using BB Corbett, so that, that helps a little bit. But in this past season, he batted 365 with 15 home runs, 45 RBIs, and drove in and got 77 hits. So, I mean, look, there's some good things right there. You know, obviously the power, you know, showed up this season. But, I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult because of how small he is. Um, if that power is going to be able to stick around, but I will also say this, he does have a very good play approach. Um, he he had 23 walks this entire season, but only struck out 30 times. So he's a guy that's not, you know, swinging and missing a lot. And this is against SEC pitching. This is the absolute best conference when it comes to college baseball. You know, you know the ACC and the SEC are the, are the elite two. But I think the SEC, <clears throat> excuse me, I think what the SEC excels at is starting pitching. Because you could just, I mean, you look at Vanderbilt, they got Kumar, they got Leiter. You look at LSU, they had Jaden Hill, who was a guy that was being talked about as a high draft pick until Tommy John. You look at the national champion, Mississippi State, they got um, Will Bendar, who 
is a guy that if the Marlins drafted with the 16th overall pick, I wouldn't be too surprised. And I don't think many people would be mad because he looked incredible in the college world series. In fact, had a no hitter going on until he got pulled in the, in the championship game. So there's plenty of arms and there's other guys, you know, Jonathan Cannon from Georgia. I can go on and on, but you know, this guy hit against some of the best competition in the, in the country. So I'm not too worried if his hit tool will carry over into professional baseball because he already saw some elite kids, some guys, some big league talent, some guys that I think will be superstars at the, at the big league level. Yeah, we're finishing up here on this draft preview podcast. Just a couple more things to touch on. One is this question from friend of the show, Daniel DeVivo. I want to stick with you, Hector, on this because Daniel asks, since Miami hasn't shown an aptitude to de- draft and develop hitters, should the Marlins use their top picks on pitchers instead of hitters and simply trade for hitters that are developed you know, from other organizations? Are we ready to just like give up on the fact that the Marlins seem to be struggling so much you know, to get the most out of these position players. Is, is that something that uh, it, it, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Uh, of what you were mentioning in the draft preview pod uh, draft in your uh, like draft profile series about how the Marlins should focus on hitters this time, just because they need them in the system so bad. Uh, but he's just uh, like throwing a curveball into that. If, if they've struggled so much and so consistently to get the most out of these hitters, should they almost punt on that aspect and instead just do what they do best and get these pitchers, feel like they can get the best out of these, those pitchers and then kind of trade high on some of those guys in order to get hitters that are already ready to go because they were in other organizations. What do you think about that bold approach? It definitely is a bold approach, but it's a approach that I wouldn't, you know, venture towards. If, you know, if I, if it was up to me, I would, you know, make changes in the player development system. Cause obviously the offense, you know, whatever we're doing with our hitters, it ain't working. Because a guy that, who was an incredible collegiate hitter like J.J. Bleday to be hovering around the Mendoza line is a crime. especially And he's not a high strikeout guy. In fact, he walks at a pretty high rate. I think it's over 10% the amount of he walks and he strikes out under 25%. So he's a guy that's putting the ball in play, but it's not getting the results that, you know, we should be seeing. Especially with a guy that, uh, you know, this is an incredibly talented guy. So, you know, it's time for the Marlins, you know, for Jeter, Kimang, and Sherman to look at themselves in the mirror and it's like, okay, we obviously have some extremely talented guys, but for some reason, you know, we're not hitting on the majority of these guys. You know, you know you'll get lucky with a guy like Jazz. And like I said, Jesus has looked much better since, you know, we first saw him in 2020. So there's some hope there. And we haven't, we haven't seen a full season of Lewin. I think we will after the deadline, but that's a conversation for a different day. So it, at this point, you have to look at, the main issue like is it is it our coaches if it is your coaches then you got to go get better coaches guys that have a better idea and that's why to me like i would draft guys that already have a high hit tool because you know just putting the ball in play is you know is is difficult now is just difficult enough so if you know if you have a you know if you have a top prospect who has a hard time of just putting the ball in play? That's not that's not ideal, because he's gonna if he struggles against high school competition. What do you think he will do against you know uh, you know professional pitchers? It's gonna be it's gonna be an issue. So go get guys that, especially that's why I think college guys are probably the best option because it's also quicker for mo- for the most part. Those guys can get to the big leagues quicker because they already they they start off at higher levels and they have played against better competition. So. It just, 
it depends on really what's going to happen. I think the Marlins should always just grab whoever they view as the best player available and trust in, trust in their player development. And if they don't, then it's time to get new people, you know, because it, I mean, look, you know, JJ obviously hasn't had a great season. Victor, Victor Mesa has been a mess, but you still have guys like Conine who, you know, I don't think he's hitting great for average, but the power numbers are there. And that goes for Peyton Burdick and, you know, Troy Johnston came out of nowhere and he's been incredible. Like I didn't even know who he was until the season. You know, I'm looking at him now every day. Like this guy's got two hits today. He got three, another hit. You know, it's just like it, at, the, at some point you just have to have a better idea of what you want and then go after those type of players. That's, that's the final topic I wanted to get into a great transition that you bring up Troy Johnston, who at this moment, uh, he started this year in Jupiter, quickly got promoted to Beloit. It wouldn't be shocking if he made it all the way up to double A by the end of the year. He's just a hitting machine who plays a couple different positions out of Gonzaga originally drafted. Let me double check. This was it the 17th, 17th round? round. Yeah. 17th round. And the reason why I wanted to bring him up is because, so that was the 2019 draft that they got Troy Johnson, 2018 draft. They got Alex Vesia who dominated the minors for a year and a half. And then they flipped him to the Dodgers to get an important trade to get Dylan Floro. Uh, that turned out to be, could be a win-win. Both, both those guys drafted really, really deep into this draft. Uh, the way that the schedule is lined up this year. Day three of the draft. Day one is on Sunday. Um, then day two and day three is going to be the back half of the draft rounds 11 through 20. So these are guys outside the top 300 players picked just like Alex Vesio was just like Troy Johnson was. And uh, the Marlins have been able uh, in both those cases to get guys that Vesia, who I think has a pretty good chance of having a decent big league career, Johnston, it's a little too early to, to say, but certainly a great value and a guy that probably should not have dropped that far. And Spencer, I kind of warned you about this, about yeah. looking forward to day three potential guys, uh, because I know you've looked at hundreds of draft prospects and I guess a few of them potentially would slip into these rounds. And I guess there's a variety of reasons they could slip some of them because of flaws in their game. Uh, I guess in a lot of cases, just because they're college seniors. Right. And that that's yeah. a pretty common pattern where they just don't have the leverage to negotiate much of a bonus. And also just because they're older and age is such a big factor that goes into projecting how amateur players are going to do uh, in pro ball. Is there anybody that you could think of potentially that could slip all the way into day three? And I guess I'll do, do you a little favor, you know, anybody that's just in that general range outside the top, let's say 200 picks that will go pretty deep into this draft that you don't think will get a very big signing bonus that could, yeah. if everything goes right, actually turn into a very productive pro player. Sure. I can, I, yeah, I can give us kind of some different flavors here. So one player who I have just loved from the first moment that I looked at him and is rated outside the top 300, I think more or less everywhere, um, who I have every expectation will end up going to college is uh, Vito Valencius, who is a Tennessee uh, prep bat. Um, he was a teammate of Cooper Kinney, who um, is another uh, kind of in that in the Peyton Stovall family, he's he's rated a lot higher, uh, you know, a bat for a second base guy. So that brought in a lot of the scouting heat. Um, Vito is kind of you know their number two guy on offense. He is absolutely enormous. I think he weighs about 250 pounds. Um, he plays he played third base in high school. Um, most you know naturally he's getting projected to move over to first base, and I do think that's more likely than not. But 
What I think is worth pointing out with him is that um, when he has gone through athletic testing, he consistently like rates extremely highly when it comes to like his, his explosion, right? Like, so in terms of like the short movements, he's actually like a very athletic guy, um, despite, you know, what he looks like when you see him, you know, walk onto the ball, onto the field. Um, as you'd expect, it's really big power. Um, I think you're talking, you know, it's, it's a, you have to do quite a bit of projecting, um, like there's swing and miss there. And, um, you know, it's a shorter track record of, of performance, but I do, you know, think that if, if you want to dream, there's a potential heart of the order bat there. Um, I think that he'll go to college and I, I kind of have him earmarked as a guy who I expect to, to pop back up with a little more notoriety three years from now, but I would definitely be interested in, you know, seeing where his head's at on potentially playing pro ball. Cause I like him a lot. Um, Another prep guy who is rated a little higher, Baseball America just tweeted about him earlier today. And I think um, they were kind of saying that he's maybe been a guy who's getting some late heat. Um, but a North Dakota outfielder, Chase Mason, um, he's, I, I would probably project him to go on day two, but you know, he's not going to be an early pick. Um, you know, in his case, the, the reason he's not rated like super highly is because he's a Dakota guy. Um, so obviously, like as you'd expect, not only, you know, shorter season because of the weather, uh, obviously very little in terms of scouts, you know, making it out to that area. And of course the, the competition level is lower, but in terms of tools, uh, he's got the tools to be rated, you know, quite a bit higher. Um, he's, you know, he's a big guy who can run, he's got power. It's a swing where you can imagine him hitting for pretty good contact too. Um, so I find that pretty intriguing. Um, and then a couple of college pitchers who I looked at who um could you know who are going to be on the board later um that I think you know have some merit Seth Wansway from Ohio State never like he never really put it together in college um and he is a senior uh went undrafted last year when he was kind of expected to go somewhere like in those last few rounds in that shortened draft um He's got a big issue when it comes to throwing strikes, which is, you know, obviously that's a problem, but uh, it's been one of the best, you know, breaking balls in college baseball for, for a while now. Um, he throws hard as well. Uh, I think, you know, it all really, it points towards reliever, but, um, you know, maybe like you're talking about a guy who has a starter's frame and in, historically scouts thought that he could potentially throw enough strikes to start. It hasn't happened, but, you know, maybe you get him into that, pitcher development machine and something happens. And if not, you still have a, a really, a really good relief prospect. So I'm interested in him still, you know, even though the improvement just hasn't come. Um, and then for a guy who I think probably could be available on day three, uh, that I looked at, uh, was a small school, a smaller school guy, uh, Larson Kindreich out of Biola university, who is, um, he had some momentum coming into this season and then his stats kind of backed off a little bit. He was not bad by any means, but when you're in, at like that kind of school and we're talking about the MLB draft, kind of the expectation is that you're going to dominate. Um, he did dominate like in, in off season play between last season and this year, which is kind of where that momentum came from. But uh, he's a guy who has a great body for pitching um, he has a fastball that has good velocity and good life. 
and his breaking ball at times can look pretty damn good. Um, you, you're going to have to do work on the strike throwing. You're going to have to find him a third pitch, but I think, you know, he has that kind of four or five starter, uh, base ingredients. So if I can get a guy who I think might have a chance to start that late, then I'm interested in that. Yeah. And just to get on the same page of everybody to be in particular, that round to watch is the 17th round. That's the Alex Vesey round. That's the Troy Johnson round. And obviously last year, just a five round draft. And now this year back to 20. So this time the 17th round is awfully close to uh, the very, very end. And uh, yeah, even after that, we'll, we'll see what they do in terms of Marlins organization. I've even had some success with guys that went totally undrafted and then went to Indie ball. And then they've even yeah. done a great job picking those guys at the Indie ball. Someone like uh, Trevor Richards comes to mind from a couple of years prior. He actually just got, moved around again in the major leagues this year where mm-hmm. um, shortly after he went undrafted out of a D2 school, they found him and they brought him along and uh, he turned into their minor league pitcher of the year. And then they turned into a back end rotation starter swing guy. That's, that's a strength of the organization. It seems to get these little marginal guys uh, for these different roles. I also, just before we sign off, um, I was hoping to get a, a quick word in about one more player. Um, sure. just be, it's a, it's one of the guys that Hector profiled actually, um, who I have developed a se- pretty serious crush on. I would say it's getting pretty serious. <laughs> um, and I think is in play at definitely a 32 and potentially even at 16. And that is, uh, a guy with a very cool name that cool guys have Spencer Schwellenbach, um, who, uh, I, I just love this guy, and I think he really aligns with, with what the Marlins look for in pitchers as well. Um, you have to project him off of less than 40 college innings, which is tough because um, he was away from pitching for a while. Uh, he had elbow surgery in high school, and then he went to Nebraska. He was playing shortstop. Um, so they kind of shelved the pitching, and then in fall camp, they kind of got him back on the mound and see how he's looking, and they were pretty blown away, so we got added to the bullpen. Um, but I think with him, I know like we, we didn't really touch on pitchers much at all, but I think he has two bona fide plus pitches in the fastball and the slider. The fastball is mid nineties with ride. The slider drops off the table. They tunnel very well with each other and his changeup and his command for me were like shockingly good for somebody with his background. Um, so I like, I have him projected as like a number three starter. Um, despite the fact that, like I said, we barely have any innings to go off of. Um, and he's a guy who, as I've been like trying to finalize my lists has just, he's just kept creeping up. So I was wondering, you know, like Hector, where you ended up on him when you profiled him, like how you, how you would feel about the Marlins maybe picking him up. I would probably consider, you know, I think he could end up being the first round, but I think he's more of a pick 32 guy option from the Marlins. Um, he does has a plus fastball. I think he hit 99 this season. I was actually able to watch him pitch because I cover uh, college baseball for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. So they had a couple games against Nebraska. So I was able to watch Spencer as a hitter and as a pitcher. To me, I see, I could see him as a bullpen arm in the future. I think he's a guy that can go multiple innings as a bullpen option. He was the closer at Nebraska, and he was excellent at what he did. So, to me, that's where I would point towards him. I think he could be a very, very good reliever 
at the next level because also because he hasn't started in college. So it's difficult for me to see him as a starting pitcher at the next level when he was strictly a reliever during his time in college. However, there is one, as Eli was talking about, um, the 17th round, how the Marlins have had some recent success with that pick. I'm going to go with the guy that I'm pulling it out of my, you know, out of nowhere. I'm going to go with if the Marlins draft this kid, I think it would be in around the 17th round range. And I think he'll be an excellent pickup. I'm going to go with left-handed pitcher out of Stetson, Daniel Perrette, South Florida kid, pitched at Archbishop McCarthy High School. Big, tall, strong kid, throws pretty damn hard. But the big issue with him has been health. He didn't pitch this season. He had a shoulder injury, and he missed all of the 2020 season. And 101 innings college pitches, college innings pitch. He threw 100, he got 113 strikeouts. He's a strike thrower. He doesn't, you know, give up a lot of extra base hits. He he pounds his own. He challenges hitters. And is a guy that I think if they can keep him healthy, will be an absolute stud. And I thought he would would have been awesome this season. I thought, you know, if he would have been healthy, I think Stetson's a much better team. And I also think because that was going to be their ace, but he just wasn't healthy. But to me, I see him. I was like, man, if this kid can stay healthy, this will be a really, really good pickup for the Marlins. And I think, and like I said, local kid probably grew up a Marlins fan. I don't, I don't know, but like I, I saw him in high school, and I knew scouts were interested in high school. One of the games I went to, um, the the White Sox, they had a White Sox scout there, and they were talking. They they seemed interested, but the problem was he had. I think it was a torn ACL because he was a hitter in high school as well. He tore his ACL. So I think that's why they didn't draft him, you know, out of high school because he had that torn ACL and there were, there were some injury concerns. But I think his talent and the way he has developed at Stetson is too much to pass up on. Yeah. A, a final note on those super late round picks. People that know me well know how fond I am of Anthony Bender emerging potentially yep. as the Marlins closer. And I, I hadn't actually digging this far down into his history before, but he was himself a 20th round draft pick. And uh, it took a very uh, securitist route to get to where he is today as a lights out major league reliever. But that's just another example, you know, probably even a better example than Vesia or Johnson. This is a guy that's in the big leagues and shoving who for a variety of reasons out of Juco, he went super, super late and uh, eventually came into uh, one of his own. So every single pick matters. Even the guys that fall in the late rounds, even the guys that you don't have to give much money to at all, that there are uh, a lot of very unusual stories, success stories in baseball. So from Spencer Morris, Hector Rodriguez, Ian Smith here in spirit, Eli Sussman here. We'll have our draft coverage for you coming up in just a few days on all our Fish Stripes platforms. As always, go fish.